You and your dog are a team. Fuel is best in the field and in life with Purina Pro Plan Sport. Made for hardworking dogs of all ages, every sport formula starts with real meat as the number one ingredient and is specifically formulated to support strength and stamina. Try it today and see why ProPlan is the official dog food of Ducks Unlimited. Learn more at ProPlanSport.com. Hey everybody, welcome back to the Ducks Unlimited podcast. Today's episode is going to be another one where we talk uh, with a, a graduate student about some research that they're that they're conducting. Actually, I think they've already completed the research and are nearing the end of uh, of their findings and we'll be moving on to to what's next in their professional career. I, I enjoy these episodes because it gives us an opportunity to talk to the people that will be our future waterfowl wetlands conservation professionals. Today's guest is Miss Catherine Cody, a graduating master's student from the University of Arkansas Monticello. Catherine, welcome to the podcast. Hi, Mike. Thanks for having me. So the, let me see if I got that correct. Have you graduated yet or are you about to get there? About to. So technically, I'll actually graduate in August. Okay. So a few All more right. months. <laughs> All right. Very good. And I want to start out allowing you to tell us a little bit about yourself kind of personally. And then what was it that brought you to the field of, of waterfowl science, waterfowl research? Everyone has a story. We always like to give people an idea of, of the individuals that they're hearing from, the individuals that are behind our wetlands, waterfowl science, and conservation. And so what is your story? Yeah. So um, I grew up in New England. I'm from Massachusetts originally. And I think I kind of always knew that I wanted to do wildlife. Um, my parents are actually both in the environmental field. Um, so I kind of always had that as like a theme throughout growing up, I guess. Um, I thought I was going to work with wolves and live in Alaska. Mm -hmm. Obviously, I'm not doing that. <laughs> <laughs> I think a lot of people have had wolves or, or, yeah. or marine mammals or something like well, that somewhere along the that's way, That's kind right? of what it was is as I got older and I got into a wildlife degree for my undergrad, I was kind of like, okay, everybody seems to want to work with wolves and big carnivores. Maybe I'll try something else. So I took a couple ornithology courses, absolutely loved it. Um, and when I graduated, I actually went to work with Fish and Wildlife out in Utah. And I was working at a wildlife refuge, Bear River Wildlife Refuge mm. out there. And so I did a lot of waterfowl stuff on the Salt Lake, but a lot of shorebird stuff, a lot of plant stuff, kind of a little bit of everything. Um, and when I finished that, I think it's funny, I applied for a shorebird position in California. And they called me up and they said, we don't really want you for the shorebird position, but we have this waterfowl nesting ecology survey that we're doing. Do you want to come do that? So, I mean, I was just out of my first job, said, why not? Uh, moved to California, met a bunch of people there who kind of just showed me how much they loved waterfowl and kept running with it. <laughs> yeah. And you ended up at University of Arkansas, Monticello, under the direction of Dr. Doug Osborne. Mm -hmm. And when did you start there? So I got to Arkansas in September of 19. Um, and I actually started as Dr. Osborne's research associate. So I was just here for a year-long term position, essentially, to kind okay. of help him with research in the lab, you know, help on other grad student projects and stuff. Um, but him and I started this new body condition study, which ended up being the focus of my research. And so we were talking one day and he made some comment about me not needing another project to work on. And I was like, um, I'd like a 
master's project. <laughs> and so he graciously let me stick around for an extra two yeah, years. Yeah, so the point there is don't be afraid to ask, right? Yeah. <laughs> and I do if you don't ask, you're not you're not going to get it. <laughs> that's right. That's right. I do want to go back a little bit and ask you about uh, when you fell in love with or became infatuated with uh, migratory birds, waterfowl, other birds. What was it about them that really stood out to you that made you think, okay, this is really cool and I think there might be something here? If I'm being honest, I a really a big part of me being in the waterfowl fields now is actually the community aspect of it. Um, and you're talking the people. Yeah, 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 the people. I just, I was really fortunate to work with some amazing coworkers who were just my teammates. You know, we were all just technicians, but just hearing them talk about their stories and stuff, I was like, okay, this is kind of cool. Like, these people are so good and they're so, I guess, like, motivated to get other people involved in what they're doing, that it was a little bit infectious and I just stuck with it. Yeah, <laughs> and it took me a lot of really cool places. That was a big part of it for me too. Yeah. A lot of people, we hear that a lot within Ducks Unlimited when we talk to a lot of our volunteers at the chapter level where they say, I came for the mission, but I stayed for the people. Mm-hmm. And I think that's probably true in, in your case as well. It sounds like to some degree you're, you love wildlife, you love the noble cause of conservation, but then you get into this field and you become part of that community. You become, you see the networking, you see how people work together. They don't necessarily compete so much for ideas and for accomplishments. We recognize that we're all part of something bigger. And that's not to say that there aren't other fields out there in the natural resources profession that don't have that similar air of community. And that's a great thing in itself, but you certainly experience that within the the waterfowl uh, migratory bird community. So that's that's cool. I enjoy hearing that story. I'll never get tired of hearing the story about how people enjoy being part of uh, a a community that is working together altruistically for a greater good. Mm -hmm. You know, as as, kind of, as that may sound too good to be true, it it really is. And and it's great to have you be, be part of that. At this point, let's let's move to talk about your research a little bit. You've introduced it as pertaining to a study of the body condition of, of mallards, but I want you to uh, kind of give us the overview of what was the central question in your research? Why is it important? Tell us what you were doing. Yeah, so I guess the kind of overall idea of my research was to figure out a way to estimate mallard body condition in Arkansas. And when we say body condition, we mean the health. Um, And so there have been a lot of kind of methods to estimate bird health that have been used previously. Um, But a lot of times people kind of find that you can't use them across species or across populations. Um, And so we wanted to evaluate different methods out there to measure Arkansas female mallards specifically. And so when we say health, can we put a finer point on that? Like what are we, we're not necessarily talking about if they're diseased or if they have parasite loads. We can't really infer if there's something going on at that level, right? Mm-hmm. We're talking about a more general metric of whether they're skinny for their size or proper weight for their size. Is that is Yeah, that about so it? when we say body condition, we are really referring to a measure of the reserves of mostly fat and protein in the body. Um, and it can also mean, you know, moisture content or mineral content, but most research focuses on the fat and protein because that's kind of the important and the useful part, especially for birds in Arkansas. We're looking at the fat because 
that's what's going to keep them alive throughout the winter. Yeah, and that's a great point. During the non-breeding period, their primary goal is to survive and make their way to spring migration in optimal body condition that allows them to get back to the breeding grounds early and reproduce at a high level, right? And all that is kind of tied to the nutrient dynamics of that individual. We've studied for decades uh, relationships between egg production, uh, renesting, breeding propensity, all these different reproductive parameters. We've studied uh, how they may relate to nutrient composition, body condition, as you described it. The same thing kind of applies on the on the non-breeding grounds, right? Like, why is what are some of the ways in which we think or have seen that measures of body condition can influence some of what else goes on with waterfowl during mm-hmm. the during the non-breeding season? Yeah. So the idea is that if you have more fat on your body, you being a bird, yeah. <laughs> um, you are more likely to survive. You can kind of combat those periods of like really cold weather. So you deal with thermoregulation a lot more easily. Um, You have more energy in you for pairing activities um, or even for times where there's not as much food on the ground. Um, So low food availability, you can rely on those stored reserves. And so I recall from some of my literature review back in the day when I was doing my master's and my, my PhD research, studying that very thing, looking into some of those studies and they'll think a couple of like survival we we want to know the body condition of an individual because of what you said uh, in terms of its uh, it, its importance well i guess for the overall individual being being fit being fat is, is sort of a, a good thing because it allows them to to endure those harsher conditions but from a research standpoint we look at it uh, I, I guess to link it to what's going on with the bird, we, we as a potential predictor for their survival, right? Exactly. Or maybe their movements. So any any in indication or any kind of studies you came across that looked at body condition, found body condition to be a useful predictor or it having an influence on the amount of movement that birds do. What do we know about that? So, I guess I didn't look specifically at the relationship between body condition and other life activities. I looked, my literature review kind of focused on papers that were estimating body condition. So it's almost a a methodology paper yeah. instead of a linking it to further life cycle events, which is essentially the end yeah. goal. Yeah. And that's a great point. Uh, you and I talked before we started recording about the uniqueness of this study that, that you're conducting. We've had people talking about, on, on previous episodes, talking about movements of ducks where they're tracking them with GPS transmitters or uh, or other devices, geolocators. We've talked about banding. We've talked about uh, scientific investigations into harvest or habitat management or the amount of food that's produced and so forth. Yours is a study that dials in a little deeper on a method that plays a key role in some of those other studies. And people may not necessarily think about that, right? But it's like science is multi-layered. It's not like you just have one question. You may have one primary question, as you talked about, but in order to develop a reliable answer to that, there's a whole bunch of other things that you have to do in order to collect that data reliably using good methods, right? Exactly. Doug and I had actually kind of, I guess we kind of worked backwards to come up with our question because we had been talking about how does winter body condition affect Mm cross-seasonal effects or breeding propensity. Um, And then we were like, okay, well, we don't have 
what what method are we going to use? So we took a few steps back, and this is almost the way I describe it is it's the first level, like you said, yep. needed so that we can answer the rest yep. of those questions. Absolutely. And I one of the keys, I believe, with yours, tell me if this is, is right, you were looking for a way to, uh, to ascertain body condition, fat, protein reserves, uh, nutrient reserves, non-lethally. Is that, is that right? Exactly. A- because you, what are the, what are, what's the, like the ultimate metric of body condition? What's the ultimate way that we would be able to ascertain for an individual duck how much fat, protein, minerals it has in it. Mm-hmm. So the gold standard, I guess, for body condition is usually determined through lethal means. Uh, for the purpose of my project, we use what's called proximate analysis. Um, and so we are essentially collecting a duck lethally. Uh, we went out and crawled through the mud with shotguns and snuck up on them and had a great time. And then we'd take a bunch of measurements on them for the purpose of my project um, and can kind of compare that to the proximate analysis, which is using the carcass of the duck to provide as close to exact estimates of percent protein, lipids, minerals, and uh, moisture as possible. And so it can be a pretty gnarly process, right? Where you, you remove the feathers and then you, free, you know, won't have to get too gory, but you you basically have to freeze the bird and then grind it up so you get a composite sample, right? Exactly. Yeah. So we would we'd take all the measurements on the bird when it was, we'd call it the wet carcass weight. Um, so still had all of its feathers, everything was intact. Um, and then we pluck all of the feathers off of it. Luckily, we had a commercial plush, plucker, so yeah. <laughs> made it a little easier. Um, and then you actually remove the esophagus and the gizzard because you don't want the protein content from the seeds that they were feeding on to kind of influence your measurements. Um, and then afterwards, they go through a grinding process so that when we're using the machine for proximate analysis, it's getting a kind of a representative sample of the whole carcass and not just muscle tissue or skin tissue. And so then you take that sample and you put it in this sophisticated apparatus that there is it, it I've, I've never used it but it's some sort of piece of lab equipment or maybe several different pieces of equipment that parses out the what is it fat protein what are the other moisture com- and mineral content okay. um so it's i guess a multi-step process um but it essentially it uses really high fat or sorry um high heat and high pressure to remove the fatty oils from the sample um so after we do that then we can kind of use process of elimination to get the protein content. You and your dog are a team. Fuel is best in the field and in life with Purina Pro Plan Sport. Made for hardworking dogs of all ages, every sport formula starts with real meat as the number one ingredient and is specifically formulated to support strength and stamina. Try it today and see why Pro Plan is the official dog food of Ducks Unlimited. Learn more at ProPlanSport.com. content as well. I told you before we started recording that I was going to try not to take us into too deep of the details, but <laughs> but I did anyway. <laughs> because it's, it's, uh, it's this cool. Is, it is. I, I enjoy this. And I hope our listeners will enjoy seeing some of what happens at this deep scientific level. There's a lot that goes into it. The other thing that I'll mention uh, that I, I keyed in on, you said you crawled through the mud, snuck up on the birds in order to, to collect them. 
there was a reason for that, right? Yeah. You, because you didn't want to shoot them over decoys or over over any other kind of uh, method that was that would, you know, I, well, you tell us why. Yeah, so exactly. You don't want to shoot them over decoys. We don't want to use a duck call because that brings in the potential for bias of body condition. Um, So there's been research that's been done previously that shows that birds that are harvested over decoys are actually in poorer body condition or poorer health than birds that aren't. And so to get an accurate idea of what the body condition of our birds is, we didn't want to use those methods so that we didn't bias it on the negative side. Um, But part of it also was this project was done in conjunction with another project um, because we have to lethally collect the birds. We're trying to get as much information out of them as we can. So this was part of like six other projects going on at once. (laughs) Sure. So let me see if I can summarize this. Your project, the central question in your project was to try to find a suite of measurements, external measurements on the bird Mm -hmm. that you could use as a pretty accurate predictor of that ultimate body condition that you would determine through that proximate analysis from the collected carcass. And other people had done this before, right? There had been some prior work, but there was always some uncertainty about the true applicability of these other equations, these other methods to a particular situation that y'all were looking at. Is that the idea? Exactly. Um, We had indices from other species, from other regions of the country, and we just kind of wanted to test the idea to see if they could be applied to our birds here. Um, And so we did that. And then we also tested a bunch of other kind of a priori models. So we just used common measurements from the literature um, and common types of body condition indices and threw those all into a computer program and did some model selection. I'll make a connection here to a to an episode we had, I think, last year. John Vion uh, is a graduate student from the University of Arkansas. I think he was at Fayetteville. He's now a PhD student out at University of California, Davis. But his study looked over the long term uh, for changes in body conditioner. I'm not sure if it was body conditioner or if he just looked at body mass. I think it was just body mass. I believe he was just looking at mass, yeah. Yeah. And, And mallards harvested in Arkansas. And body condition is a little bit different, right? Because you're, is there any correction for structural size in what you're doing with the body condition index? So sometimes there is, sometimes there isn't. Um, So just using mass isn't necessarily a bad thing to do. There's been plenty of research out there that shows that mass is a good representer of body condition, I guess. But there's also research out there that says, hey, let's add a morphological measurement in there, a linear measurement to adjust for structural size. And so that's kind of what we were testing. Well, let's jump to the results. We kind of have the layout of what you were trying to accomplish. What did you find? Did you improve on past methods? Uh, What was the the take home? Um, So we actually found that the published indices that I already test or that I tested, there were eight of them. Um, None of them proved to be very beneficial for our birds. Um, And I should say that I only tested previously published indices in terms of their ability to predict fat content. Um, We also tested protein, but we didn't use previously published indices just because we're focusing on winter birds. Um, So those weren't really great predictors. um, And I kind of have some, you know, I guess, hypotheses about why they weren't. Um, But we actually found that a mass and age category, so juvenile and adult interaction effect, was the best kind of predictor of mallard health here. Okay. um, Which is a little different than what a lot of other uh, research has found. I think in this case that 
that age category is kind of taking place of uh, measurement. And I think part of that might have to be be due to a smaller sample size. You know, I'd be curious to see mm. how it changed with a really large sample size. Yeah. So none of the external measurements, um, like wing cord, tarsus length, bill length, none of that stuff showed up as being particularly useful. Uh, um, diagonal tarsus showed up as like one of the top cu couple of models, but it wasn't a competitive model by any means. Yeah. Um, so mostly it was just that mass age interaction effect. Yeah. Um, so, so kind of you, interesting. <laughs> yeah, yeah. So uh, a hefty bird is is in better condition than than a lighter bird after you adjust for the age, right? Yeah. So. And I mean, even in general, kind of the whole concept behind understanding body condition is that the fatter the duck, the healthier the duck, and the healthier the duck, the more likely it is to survive. Yeah. Um, with body condition, we can't really say this is a healthy bird versus this isn't a healthy bird because we don't know what those metrics are. We yeah. don't have a, you know, a body chart for ducks yeah. like we do for people. Um, but we can at least say duck A is healthier than duck yeah. B. And that kind of gives us some idea. And we still don't have any indication of, you know, whether it's diseased or stressed. Although if it is to some severe level, you would expect it to show up in that body condition index, right? Exactly. You would expect it to have a smaller one. Well, so what's next for the results uh, from your research? What's the, where's it being applied? I know you have a lot of fellow graduate students. I know Dr. Osborne has additional graduate students coming on. Are they... Have they implemented this index? Will they be implementing it in any future studies? What do you know about that? We've kind of threw out a couple ideas about what we could do with it. Um, I'd be really interested in applying it to our banding data. So our lab has a big winter banding program. I'd kind of be curious to see if we can apply this index to those birds and kind of what the differences are in body condition in February of female mallards. Um, so we might be doing that. But the general idea, like thinking long-term, is that we can take an index of body condition and use it in conjunction with what we know about diet or, you know, um, kind of bioenergetic work and better manage what's on the landscape. So if we know XYZ plants pr provide more uh, nutrients for duck, therefore they're in higher body condition, we can have more of that plant on the landscape. Yeah. And you could look at that at a small scale in theory, and then also at some larger scale, if you look at, I think what you're saying is maybe you could use that body condition in index as a proxy for what's happening across that landscape exactly. with, the, with the waterfowl population. And then you could look and see if there are some habitat features that correlate to those mm -hmm. differences, right? And I think that might be kind of some of the research that we do yeah. moving forward. Yeah, really cool. Anything else particularly intriguing, either related to the research or either related to the results or just your study of, you know, what you learned throughout this that's that's particularly memorable or surprising uh, that you, or, or that, that's going to stick with you that you take away from this? Oh, gosh. Well, first off, doing this, I learned so much. Like, I had no idea about statistics or about coding before I started this project or really before I got to Arkansas. Um, and so I had to learn how to do all of the statistics for my project on my own. So I'm very glad that I've had that experience <laughs> now. You're glad to have it um, behind you now? Well, I think it'll be beneficial. Okay. I hope it'll be Good. beneficial moving Good. I hope forward. So too. But I, I guess one thing about my research that I found pretty interesting was, like I said, we also tested protein models. Um, and when 
we were testing these both for lipids and proteins. We used a mass measurement, but we also used a girth measurement, um, which is something that's not really common in the bird world. Um, But it's just a measurement essentially of the circumference of the bird around the the keel or the pectoralis, um, so the chest. And I found that girth was not really a predictor of Mm. fat content and mass was the better predictor. But in terms of protein, girth was a stronger predictor than mass, um, which I guess makes sense because you're measuring essentially the changing of that muscle mass through the life cycle. But I guess- And that's the primary source of protein on the body, whereas fat can be stored in a lot of other places that wouldn't be picked up with that girth measurement. Yeah, that's pretty cool. I thought it was an interesting, different kind of way of looking at it to take that girth measurement. Very cool. I've enjoyed learning about your research here, Catherine. I appreciate you sharing that. Now I want to ask you a question here as we start to close out. What's next for you on your professional career? As I've mentioned, I enjoy doing these episodes because I, I get to hear about the research, but also we get to hear from the people that are our future professionals, our our future managers and conservationists. And I know you have some changes coming up, some, some, uh, uh, an exciting next step on your on your path. Tell us about that. Yeah, so I just found out actually last week that I will be moving to Fort Collins, Colorado to work as a biologist for Ducks Unlimited. Um, so I'm, I'm definitely very excited about that, kind of excited to work with the organization, get back to the Southwest and kind of, it'll be a a different path that's a lot more like habitat work than I've done in the past. So I'm kind of excited to kind of get into that part of the field. Yeah. So you will, I I didn't realize that you were, that the notification of that came as recently as last week. So this is super new for you then. brand new. That's awesome. (laughs) Well, congratulations. We're thrilled to have you within the Ducks Unlimited organization. And so this provides a useful connection to talk about how uh, the the work that you'll be doing through the conservation position that you'll be in is ultimately, if you go back far enough, is influenced by the work that you've done and how it plays a role in additional research that tells us where we need to be doing work to benefit waterfowl mm-hmm. uh, and and what kind of habitat work we need to be doing. Ultimately, there are connections between uh, this science and the work that we do. Sometimes it's it, it's not straightforward. It's not linear, perhaps, or it's it's multi-stepped, but that's fine. That's the way this works. We yeah. have to ensure reliability in our information at each step of the way until we get to the ultimate product. So, uh, anything you want to leave us with uh, that I might have missed out on? Oh, gosh. I guess the first thing that popped into my head would be, if there are other students that are out there listening, would be to, like we said earlier, to ask for things when you want to do it. Like I came up to you at a meeting and said, Mm -hmm. hey, I want to talk about my research. (laughs) Um, So I think that's a really, uh, I mean, that's like a life thing in general, I think, but especially for young people starting our careers and stuff, I think that that's a ducks aside, I think that's a good thing to put out there. It it absolutely is. Never be afraid to ask for something that you're interested in because if you don't, you certainly won't get it. Exactly. So, Catherine, thank you for your time. This has been been a fun conversation. You've been a fantastic guest and uh, thank you for all the work that you've done and congratulations again on joining Ducks Unlimited. Thank you. It's been it's been fun. It's been great to be here. <laughs> a very special thanks to our guest on today's episode, Catherine Cody, master student from the University of Arkansas, Monticello. Now, as always, we thank our producer, Chris Isaac, for the great work that he does. And to you, the listener, we thank you for tuning in today. And we thank you for your support of wetlands and waterfowl conservation. You and your dog are a team. Fuel is best in the field and in life with Purina Pro Plan Sport. 
Made for hardworking dogs of all ages, every sport formula starts with real meat as the number one ingredient and is specifically formulated to support strength and stamina. Try it today and see why ProPlan is the official dog food of Ducks Unlimited. Learn more at ProPlanSport.com.